0: Well, last week, we started a conversation together about something called moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, And I want to return to that this week uh, for two reasons. One, um, I have a fourth point that I'd like to make that I didn't get a chance to make last week, not because uh, I ran out of time, but because it just felt like too much to do in one sermon. Um, And two, uh, I'd like to return to it. I was kind of on the fence, but I've had so many fascinating conversations uh, this week. Uh, folks kind of processing what they heard, and so I think maybe it'd be good for us to to turn back to it. If you weren't with us, don't worry. Uh, you can go back and check it out. I won't leave you alone. Uh, in fact, I'll start here in just a sec with a recap. Um, but uh, yeah, so you can come right along with us. But I would encourage you to go back and and uh, and check it out. Um, I uh, I think uh, I hope I hope it'll be worth your time um, as well. I started off just by talking about some experiences that I had growing up. Uh, I went to uh, for 10 years as a camper and then worked for six years as a staff person at a a summer camp called Camp Don Lee. Uh, It was a place, a community, an experience that uh, shaped and formed my faith and nurtured my call to ministry. Uh, And now that I'm a big boy pastor, I get invited back occasionally if I behave uh, to go back and be the pastor in residence there for one week every summer. Um, And then I get a chance to be a part of shaping and forming um, the faith uh, and the calling of those who are there, uh, but I only get one week to do it. So I have to be really judicious uh, about how I use my time when I've got it with the campers. Um, and so uh, last week I was kind of sharing, like pulled back the curtain and was talking about not just, you know, what I share with the campers, but why I share it with them. And um, it, it all relates to this idea of, of knowing and being known, which is the series that we're in, right? Um, uh, last week I shared that kind of The theological assumption that I'm going into that experience with uh, comes from a book that I read probably 10, 15 years ago called Almost Christian, as in not quite, but almost Christian um, by an author, a pastor named Kenda Creasy-Dean, and she was leaning on some work in a book called Soul Searching that uh, took uh, like a big sort of data set about the spiritual lives of American teenagers and synthesized it, right? And they suggested that the the like the theological meta narrative for the spiritual worldview of American Jesus followers, right, church kids uh, in America, teenagers, was not actually Christianity. It was almost Christian, um, and they called it moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, just as a quick summary, here are some of the kind of core assumptions that they said would frame up that worldview, that spiritual understanding um, of moralistic therapeutic deism. One, God exists and created the world, but is largely uninvolved in human affairs. Two, the central goal of life is to be a good person and to be happy. Three, God does not need to be involved in one's life unless they have a problem or they need something. And then four, good people go to heaven when they die. Now, all of that sounds fine and good, right? The problem is it's just not the full story. It's not the complete story or, you know, it's slightly askew from what I feel like I would call the real story, the true story. Uh, In essence, moralistic therapeutic deism is a watered down individualistic form of Christianity, of religion that emphasizes moral behavior and personal happiness above all else, right? Puts a lot of emphasis on kind of the self-help, right? That's the therapeutic part. It seems like Christianity, parts of it sound like what it means to follow Jesus, but in the end, it rejects the harder parts of Jesus's invitation to a life that's real life by requiring very minimal commitment, right? It's more this like sort of mental ascribing to an idea than it is having to deal with any of that stuff. So there were minimal commitment and it really accommodates our desire for individual autonomy. Like, I already know what's good for me. Don't try to tell me otherwise. And it fits really well in kind of like the cultural milieu in which we find ourselves, right? This uh, sort of cultural values of consumerism and self-fulfillment. Now, to be clear, uh, Dean's point is not that there's something wrong with our kids. Her challenge to people like me, uh, and I, I, I hope to people like us, is that if, if that's what our kids are picking up, it's because that's what we're giving them and that we probably don't have anything more to give them, right? She wasn't trying to say, look, they got it all messed up. She's really kind of holding a mirror up to the church and saying, "What are what is it that we are are, are handing down uh, to our kids? And to be fair, uh, teenagers 10 to 15 years ago are now in their 20s and 30s, so uh, if, if it's helpful to say. And then like after we kind of picked all that apart, um, I offered kind of three shifts in mindset that I hoped uh, that I would send the kids home with. As they moved from what i call a passive faith to a vital faith a passive faith is a faith that knows about jesus a vital faith is a faith that knows jesus it's a a faith that has a relationship that is active and alive and growing with god through jesus christ versus a passive faith which is more like again sort of mentally ascribing Um, to a a notion or an idea that might exist in the world, but really doesn't shape or form who I am. And we talked about uh, a couple of transitions that I I hoped the kids would take when they went back home. I'd like to add uh, one more to that. Um, And that is that a vital faith moves us from evaluation to expectation. Evaluation to expectation. Evaluating kind of what it is that we're up against, what's happening in the world, what the problems are evaluation to expectation. That is expecting God to be at work in our everyday ordinary walking around lives, not just in big trends or in faraway places or in other people's lives, but expecting God to be at work in our life. One of the, one of the big like problems that I see with this sort of moralistic therapeutic deism, which no one actually ascribes to, it's just a label they're using to kind of talk about it, is that it really um kind of strips away from that which i know of as following jesus like it 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 removes this kind of notion that i, I want to call knownness knownness this idea that we are known by god and that we can know god that god actually wants to be known by us and it's very individualistic right so it strips away the um The parts of uh, God's call in our life that that encourage us to know others and to be known by others, and that knowing God and being known by God and knowing others and being known by others are all kind of a part of the same work that we do uh, together. Moralistic therapeutic deism wants to leave God you know off in the corner as this notion or idea. Uh, but take God out of our everyday ordinary walking around lives. Like we can't know or be known by this God, right? That's called deism. It's this idea that sort of God is like the master watchmaker who, uh, built the cogs, put them all together, set it into play, twisted the watch up, pressed play on it. Now everything just kind of is running, um, on on its own. A couple of, well, maybe months ago at this point in time, I I talked about the nature and character of God as both transcendent and eminent. I don't know if you were here for that or if you remember it, um, but, uh, transcendent and imminent are, is the nature and character of God. These two words, if you're not familiar with them to be God's God and God's transcendence is, uh, is big and powerful and in control and massive. All the omnis are here, right? All knowing, all present, all loving. Um, and, and God is in God's transcendence, like beyond our ability to fully comprehend. Um, we also talked about how in scripture, every time God talks about Uh, Every time scripture talks about God's transcendence, it also talks about God's eminence. In God's eminence, God is knowable. God is active and alive. um, And uh, and like Jesus says that uh, the kingdom of God is closer to us than our next breath, right? There's this idea that the God of the universe, who is omni, who is big, who is powerful, is also present, is also present. Moralistic therapeutic deism wants to do away with that part and just highlight the uh, the sort of transcendence of God, what I want to challenge the kids to do is to to bring that back and to hold those two things um, together, right um, to hold them uh, side by side, because I think uh, Scripture does, and I think that that's what uh, I, I want them to I want them to look for a God who is active and alive and then to participate in the work of God in the world that's right around them and there's a great story that I love to lean on when I'm talking about those two things together. Uh, it's the story that I, want, I call often a Jesus in the boat. Uh, Jesus wants to go to the other side of the sea because there's people gathering over there and he wants to go preach to them. This is Matthew's version. There's one in Mark and Luke. And so it says Jesus got in the boat. And when he got in the boat, uh, chapter eight, verse 23, his disciples followed him, but it was not an uneventful trip across the sea. (laughs) A windstorm arose on the sea so great that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat, Luke says. And they went and they woke him up and they said, Lord, save us. We are dying. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And then he got up. I always imagine he walked to the front of the boat, the bow. He got up and rebuked the wind and the sea or the wind and the waves. And then it says there was a dead calm. I love the idea that like, They're afraid they're going to die. We're going to die. And then once Jesus intervenes, they were in a dead calm. I love that parallel. They were amazed. The disciples were amazed saying, what sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Right now, there's a lot to love in this passage. um, And I think it's always really helpful for particularly for for campers at Camp Don Lee. It's a sailing camp. Uh, Every kid that goes to camp uh, spends some time on a boat. Uh, the younger kids are learning to sail just for the first time. And, um, if, if they've gotten on a boat that day for the first time, they have realized just how powerful the force of the wind can be and just how shaky and rocky a boat can be, uh, which is always a little nerve wracking for new sailors. The older kids take trips. They'll sail, uh, across the river or up the river or down the river, uh, to go to different campsites and camp out. They lo- load all their stuff on the boats and head off. And, um, uh, you know, I don't. I have plenty of stories that I can tell. Uh, the one that kind of keeps coming to mind. I remember the day in flashes we uh, We had sailed down a few days earlier. Um, from uh, Oriental Minnesota Beach area, if you're familiar with the Noose River, out of the river, out into the Pamlico Sound. It was the first time I'd ever been in a place where I couldn't see land all around me and on a boat. Uh, We were on 16-foot catamarans, right, Hobies. Um, And we sailed uh, 50 miles in one day. We were hauling and stayed on the uh, Ocracoke Island. A couple days later, we sailed back, and uh, it was not an uneventful trip. Um, Not only were we really far from land, uh, but the waves were huge, Um, and you know, Hobie doesn't sit that very far up above the water. And I can just remember there were times when we would go up a swell and then down into it, um, where all I could see around me is, is water. I don't know that I was afraid for my life. Uh, but there were certainly some moments I thought this may not end well, um, uh, it was scary, right? It was a scary moment. Uh, so no matter where the kids are, what they've been up to, um, unless it was a low wind event that day, uh, probably there's been some fear, some trepidation, some, some, uh, awareness and expectation that, uh, when you're on a boat, you are small and the wind and the waves are big. So they can kind of sit in the story with the disciples in that moment. Right. Um, I love the disciples coming to Jesus. It's like they've tried everything else. Now they're like, yeah, someone's going to have to wake the guy up, right? Uh, The boat is being swamped. They feel like they're going to die. They wake Jesus up. Jesus, it says, rebukes or speaks firmly to the wind and the waves. And then there is this dead calm. I don't know. I don't know if I would have picked up on this, if not for the great gift of this other version of the Bible that I love, the Jesus Storybook Bible. I recommend it to parents all the time. It helps me understand the Bible better. Um, she does a great job with this story. Not just uh, are the um, the illustrations are, you know, are fantastic. Uh, but here's how she sums the story up, right? She says, The wind and the waves recognized Jesus's voice. And then in parentheses, parentheses she says, They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. Now, that is a deeply theological statement, and I love it, right? It's this idea that the winds and the waves calm down because they knew Jesus' voice. They recognized Jesus' voice, right? They knew Jesus. And Jesus knew them. So when Jesus was rebuking the wind and the waves, it wasn't just, I'm the all-powerful Oz. Like Jesus was speaking to these elements of creation that knew him and that he knew, right? And then uh, she sums it up. She says, what kind of man is this? They asked themselves anxiously. Even the winds and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't yet understand. They didn't realize that Jesus was the son of God, Jesus's friends had been so afraid that they had only seen the big waves. Evaluation. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of, no matter how small their boat or how big the storm. Listen, these kids, our kids, your kids, our kids collectively, They are facing some big storms in their life, I have no doubt. Um, And when they look around, they evaluate those. Uh, I can imagine that they feel pretty small most of the time, uh, pretty powerless in face of all the powerful forces that are at work in their life. I love to send them home, moving them from this place of evaluation to expectation, expecting that no matter what they're up against, Jesus is with them in the boat. That the God of the universe, the God who can rebuke the wind and the waves, the God who spoke creation into being, is with them, knows them. They are known by name the same way that God knows the wind and the waves by name. What a great gift it would be for our kids to approach every single experience in their life, anticipating that the God of the universe is in their boat with them in God's transcendence, in God's eminence, They are known and they are loved. I think this isn't just a beautiful thing for them to know and to remember. I think this is a beautiful thing for all of us to know and to remember that all of us can move from evaluation, recognizing the things that we're up against to trusting that God is with us, expecting that God is with us. A vital faith expects to find God at work. I want to ask myself, I want to ask us this question. Do we expect to encounter the living God? Do we expect to see God at work around us? And what happens when we see it? Do we allow that to change us? A vital faith moves us from evaluation to expectation. My prayer for all of us today is that as we head out into the places that we live, work, and play, we know with confidence that the one who knows the wind and the waves by name so well that he can tell him to knock it off knows you and is with you in the boat, no matter how big the waves around you. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you that you know us, that you want to be known by us. And so as we pursue this week, a vital faith, may we be at work, pursuing a relationship with you who are actively pursuing a relationship with us. Be with us this week. Be alive and active. Help us to be attentive to your work in our world, no matter how big the waves or how small the boat. May we know that you're in it with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at fbumc.org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, if this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to fvumc.org give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment, and we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.